Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. For today's episode, we've got Kevin Brundish from Ampty Power to join us on the show. Um, you might have seen Ampty in the news recently. They are a battery cell manufacturer based in the UK, and their background story is absolutely fascinating. So Kevin has very kindly agreed to come on the show and talk to me about the plans that they've got, what they're working on, background to the company and the battery industry as a whole. So welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Morning, Ryan. Yeah, delighted to be here. So if we could just start, Kevin, um, just a bit of an introduction to, to your good self and, uh, and your background and, and where you came from would be great. Yeah, no problem. I mean, I started um, my career as an engineer, actually, building or designing, I should say, designing aircraft parts, gas turbine parts, actually. So that's uh, longer than I care to remember, but 25 or so years ago. And I worked for a number of different companies, um, such as Rolls-Royce, and I ended up uh, working for a technology company called Kinetic. Right. And whilst there, I sort of moved into more managerial roles and led the battery and fuel cell business. Some probably some ten plus years ago, I started started in in this field. Therefore, so so compared to some, I'm I'm an I'm a newcomer. Um, but nonetheless, uh, been in the sort of battery and fuel cell business for for over a decade. Ah, fascinating, and and good to know you from an engineering background as well. I think all, all the best people start their careers in engineering. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so so at Kinetic, that's kind of where the uh, the anti uh, business journey starts. So could, could you just uh, tell us uh, what what happened and and how that came about? Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I, uh, well, in fact, I actually joined a, a hydrogen company for a, for a short period of time for a couple of years as a, as a sort of startup. But in 2013, I got together with uh, a couple of ex-Kinetic colleagues uh, and we set up Amity Power. And the, what, what, we, you know, what we really did was we bought a business called AGM Batteries. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, but Really, this we we we'd had a lot of interaction with AGM over the years, um, a cell manufacturer in the UK that specialised in supplying defence, and of course, because I was in Kinetic, there was always a defence and aerospace element to the work we did because it was primarily a defence and aerospace company. Yeah. So when that business was available to be bought, we set up Ampty, and we we bought the business. So that was 2013. And AGM, uh, well, just remind the, the the acronym stands for something, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, no, it does. There's, there's, there's a reasonable amount of history behind AGM, actually. Um, so I'm going to get into a few acronyms here. All right. Uh, so okay. Um, AGM is an acronym, so it's uh, the A stands for ABSL, and ABSL stands for AA. Battery Systems Limited, <laughs> and then AA is the Atomic Energy Authority. So, so the A is the common part. Yeah. Um, so that that goes to ABSL, uh, and they set up a. They actually had the patent for the early lithium ion. So they worked with Oxford University and did some of the original licensing out to Sony, and were part of that whole commercialization piece. Oh, okay. So the business up in Scotland was. Uh, slightly later than that, it was a joint venture in the sort of mid mid nineties, really, uh, between ABSL with all those links, um, GSU Asa, and Mitsubishi Materials. So that's the three A. Yeah, that's the three letter acronym that you get AGM right. from. The the Atomic Energy Authority piece in that, um, you know, what why, why were they making batteries? What was the what was the link there? 
it was, I think if you go back a number of years, AA was quite a, I was a diversifying business. Um, I never worked there, so I, I, I can't talk specifically about what their business plans were, but they were all about energy. Um, and they worked in quite a diverse portfolio. So it, if you look at the work that goes on there, there was quite a lot on nuclear, obviously, but it went beyond that into a, into peripheral um, energy technologies and products that would help that industry. Um, so the battery side wasn't wasn't entirely uh, unlinked in that sense. It, it was something that was felt could be a, a link into energy in general. Yeah. Um, so they they were working with the you know, Oxford University and and others. So that, that that's sort of where that whole lithium mine story started with with AGM, with ABSL, and the sort of links with GSU Asset and Mitsubishi Materials were all about setting up a joint venture that was going to look at you know verifying the supply chain in essence, looking at what different materials would make a good lithium mine cell. Um, what variances could be tolerated, generating processes and helping you know, those companies go on and become giants in the field. So in reality, it was right at that sort of conception of lithium-ion as, as an industry. Right. And really involved very early uh, in that sort of commercialization piece. And, and, and was that the intention? So rather than being a kind of a, a JV that was there to exploit the technology it was re- it was really a jv that was there to help uh develop and in- industrialize the technology is that is that the kind of right sort of way of thinking right. about it yeah that's that's sort of that that starting point but of course it had rights to then exploit yeah um as well so actually the history moves on a little bit in the absl essentially took back complete ownership uh of the business agm uh, and then became a a producer of cells. And it, it was always focused on, you know, high end, high quality. Uh, I hate to use the word niche, but niche compared to today's <laughs> markets. Yeah. Uh, niche end users. Primarily, it, it it got some work in defence and has supplied, you know, defence contracts. You know, for a couple of decades now. Right. So it's uh, it's been doing that for some time um but over time of course the rest of production scaled up hugely prices were were driven down uh and eventually the the competitive nature meant that buying those cells from overseas uh was a reality right so we 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 took that business on in in 2013 I think we sort of took it back to its roots in a way because we recognised that whilst there are a number of markets that we could still serve, really its best use for us was to look at bringing new technologies you know, to market. Yeah. Um, Utilising that that you know that hugely expensive setup equipment um, that was already there. And. The, the the there is part an interesting part of the story yeah. as well. So it is. <laughs> yeah. where, where where is it? Yeah, it's in Thurso, uh, which if you're a frequent traveller to the Orkneys, you will have probably passed through. Yeah. Through a particular port called Scrabster. But but yeah, it's up up on the north coast of, of Scotland. And and the there has uh, has a part of the, the AA link. The Atomic Energy Authority, and that back in the nineties, or in fact, way before the nineties, there was there's a there's a there's a nuclear plant up on the north coast of of Scotland that was was being decommissioned essentially. Right. It was one of the very early uh, nuclear power facilities, if not the earliest, in fact. Yeah. Uh, in the UK, um, and and the Atomic Energy Authority was obviously working with the the local area to look at job retention and things like that um, and eventually decided to place the battery factory you know, in Scotland. Um, I think there might have been some other aspects such as whiskey when the, <laughs> the came with Japan, but um, I wasn't in those negotiations, so I don't know. 
<laughs> uh, there's, there's some other links there. But you're right, it, it, it was in part to you know, look at maintaining sort of level of jobs in that region right. um, that AA had, you know, had given the, the power station. As it happens, that decommissioning isn't as easy as was thought back in the 90s, and it's still under undergoing decommissioning. Wow. <laughs> it's taken a lot longer. Um, and drawbacks of uh, nuclear power. Some of the downsides, yeah, yeah, when you want to stop it, it <laughs> takes an awful lot of money and effort to, to yeah. take it to pieces. I'm sure designs have improved uh, since then. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's ongoing. And uh, Thurso is, um, I mean, it's a, a beautiful location. Not not really sort of industrial uh, heartland of, of uh, Scotland, though, in terms of the manufacturing footprint and things up there. It must be quite a... Um, I mean, you, you guys must be really significant business in the area. Well, we, yeah, absolutely. We employ around 50 people now up in the, you know, the, the North Highlands. I mean, you know, but, but as compared to the nuclear site that, that takes on around 1500, and I think that's worth um, noting that, that the skill base that's in that region is very high. Mm. Um, I think outside of that, that cluster, obviously, there are other, you know, whiskey and, and fishing and, and agriculture are, are big, uh, big industries along with tourism. Um, but, you know, there's certainly a large technology-based, um, you know, talent pool up in the North, the North Highlands that, that you probably wouldn't expect. Okay. Uh, primarily because in the early stages of, of the nuclear development, a lot of people went there so we're working with sort of third generation nuclear physicists um which you might not find in in other parts of the the highlands so yeah it 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 isn't quite as you expect um hidden away are some substantial sort of engineering and technology-based businesses oh fantastic it sounds uh you know combine that with uh the the rugged uh, scenery and uh, and some amazing whiskey and uh, sounds like you've got a good combination. It, it's it's a great combination and it's you know it's got a degree of isolation which in the current times helps uh, a little bit as well. Yeah. Uh, social distancing is is relatively easy to achieve, for instance. So there there are some some strengths. And of course, some of the challenges are you know transit there, but again, it's. Um, it's not too bad, and it is a beautiful journey yeah. um, up, up through those highlands to the north coast. Fantastic. And and so, just tell us about the existing facility that you have up there. What 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 is it? What have you got? So we have a, a full cycle manufacturing plant. So we we I think we, the phrase we like to say is powder to power. Um, essentially, we we bring in raw materials. We do all the mixing and the electrode creation. And then, of course, we do the cell assembly. And at the moment, we're still the only full cycle plant in the UK. And obviously, there's uh, the, the Northeast plant. Yeah. But that, that focuses on the cell assembly side rather than the electrode manufacturing. So, yeah. We, yeah, we we work right from scratch. And of course, if you know, given its history, it, it had to have all of those features. It's, it can't It can't look at supply chain variability and it can't generate recipes it can't generate um you know electrodes if it doesn't have that first phase of the manufacturing so it's uh it's a highly flexible facility in modern day it's small so it's a sub 100 megawatt hour plant but that that does mean we are able to generate millions of cells a year right as far as you know a go-to-market production plant it's it's more than adequate to get uh, to get early products tested and out there. Um, so that you know, it's it's combination of flexibility and scale. Yeah. Not too large. That means you can cost you know more cost effectively look at and bringing new products to market. Yeah. Flexibility. And um, but yeah, enough to prove. And that's because of course the issue with the very with the bigger factories either like Sunderland. Uh, the 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 former Nissan site Envision AESC, where they're assembling cells, but not uh, they don't produce the raw materials. They bring in the raw materials and then um, cut. They do slits the the reels of material, um, yeah. but they're made off site. Um, 
you can't deviate from the process. Uh, we, I, you know, not just for cell production, but with most large scale factories, they're set up to to deliver a process, and deviating from the process is is pretty hard. And it's it's a completely different setup if you want to be a bit more flexible and agile in terms of um, processing different um, different things. So you're it. it if you're literally if you're working right from the, the sort of powder level so in in terms of the makeup of the cell um you you you're mixing the slurries and doing the coating and the drying and all that kind of thing in inside one one factory then absolutely so obviously you're right Ryan. large factories even the ones that are full cycle as we as we term it um are optimized around a, a you know, very efficient, very high yield single process. Mm. And you know, moving those off that process is both costly and, and tricky. Um, how much flexibility is in that line is, is always a question. We have a great degree of flexibility. It was designed around being flexible. Uh, it comes to you know, some of the disadvantages that we haven't got you know, a highly optimized approach for a single line, but with all the benefits of being able to vary the product product that we're looking at. Yeah. So for all those reasons uh, that it was a sort of perfect setup to look at commercializing sort of next generation technologies. Yes, of course, we can make all of the standard chemistries and in fact do and have. Mm. Um, but our real focus is on bringing a next generation technology to market. Wow. Um, the fact that we can work right from those, you know, those early uh, raw materials, do all the mixing and the coating means that we can actually generate a, a quite a you know, strong IP base and knowledge base there. And, it, and it's um, and it, there can't be many places in the world that can do that. I, I wouldn't have thought. No, um, obviously, when you know when the market grew up back in the nineties grew up fast around the single product line and became highly optimized. And even the factories that you're seeing coming online now are, are still quite focused on very large, um, you know, single product type approaches. Yeah. There is a massive demand for what's currently available. And so, you know, I think that's why people view it, that that's, that's the technology for some years to come. The good news about what we do is everything we do can be done in, in those in those plants in general, we, we have greater flexibility, it's true, mm. um, but we use exactly the same equipment. So everything we do is is transferable to that global scale within the limits of the manufacturing equipment. So, so the great news is that we have all the flexibility we need to do that, you know, bring to market, but yet scale up is much more in line with you know, the, the, the larger manufacturers from, from the Far East and the emerging ones that you're seeing in Europe. And you're right, Ron, there isn't really anybody doing that. There are some other businesses that, that have similar scale of plant to us, but they, they tend to be, you know, very focused around single products. Yeah. And there are some smaller plays, entities around Europe particularly, who do some manufacturing, but but on very small scales, very, very small scales. You know, some of the bigger cell producers don't have their own kind of prototyping plants and stuff in, in-house, so they've got the mass scale production, but they couldn't, uh, they, well, they can't easily sort of trial um, a, new, um, a, a new chemistry or a new technology within their own facilities because they just don't have that kind of it's it's a I think it's a peculiar sort of quirk of how the lithium industry has um, grown up in the last few years. It's sort of gone from nothing to light speed very quickly. It feels like, um, and all the focus has been on the capacity, you know, for existing products rather than um, necessarily the advancing and and the sort of R and D side. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, you know, we, when we talk about the business, we 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 sort of highlight those sort of market features that there is a, there is, I mean, if you look at the evolutions of lithium ion over the last, you know, 20 odd years, there's been, there's been quite a lot around the sort of power electronics and the way the cells are used, but, but less so around sort of big, big steps in the actual um, production process for the cells. And, and part of that, I think is because of that, you know, that fast growth. And of course the, the massive, I mean, it's very expensive infrastructure putting, Gigafactories into play is is a lot of money. Yeah, 
Um, and so once you've done that, you you know, it, it's not so easy to afford just to, you know, just to vary that. So some big decisions you have to make before you get, you know, into, you know, into manufacturing or, or into constructing those manufacturing facilities. And, and I know you probably can't tell us too much about the kind of customers that you work for, but I'm guessing that some of those very big uh, global battery companies that we would all recognize the names of would be amongst your um, amongst your customer base? In fact, what, what we've tended to do is work with the end user community. Um, okay. at, at the moment, our view is that you know, we will bring some of those products to market and scale our own manufacturing facilities behind them. But you're absolutely right. We, we're in contact with a number of large you know, cell manufacturers. Uh, but, but I think our view is that it's very difficult for big, big manufacturing to switch to a new product line without that new product line being well proven. Yeah. Um, and that's what we can do. And, and there aren't that many places you can go to get that, you know, that well proven um, product line that is then going to be of interest. I think I think when I started my career, having a presentation on the next technology was was all you needed to convince people to to start looking at it. And and as time has gone on, it's moved from you know having a great idea through to you know a prototype will get you the interest. But but nowadays you've you've got to really have the product available um, and and be able to be made yeah. um, before people start to take a significant interest in it. And so that's the aspect that that we do and can do it's an interesting sort of part of you know people often i think underestimate the challenge of manufacturing some any any, and this could be anything not just lithium cells but i mean we have got some questions for about the lithium manufacturing process um, or the cell manufacturing process but any product at scale the, the the actual mass manufacture is a science uh, and a challenge in itself. And you, you can have lots of things that are a really good idea and you can make kind of one or two, but then actually having a repeatable, stable, safe uh, manufacturing process to make millions or even billions of them um, at scale is is a completely, it, it's a whole other topic. And actually you can spend substantially more money developing that process than you can actually developing the base uh the base technology itself um so it's a huge huge challenge having those stable um manufacturing processes and then such a huge amount of the cost for a lithium battery is is from the the process itself the um because the manufacturing process is pretty pretty complex isn't it for lithium cells you know what? It, it, it's interesting because um, it, at a top level, there are a number of straightforward steps that, that you take. But the point you're making is right. Once you move from the, the, the sort of broad brush approaches on each each step of manufacturing and get into the detail, there are you know, there is a blend of engineering and science that that's, that underpins the ability to make that cell even function, let alone make it um, <laughs> you know, to, the, to the required standards. So, so I think you're right. It, when you're in the lab, it's easy to underestimate. You know, I've been in the lab and, and underestimated myself, and I'm sure you know most people, you know, empathise with this. It, it is easy to underestimate the manufacturing part and to think that actually, once I've cracked the science, the the manufacturing will be the easy part. Yeah. But but what we quite often find is that. The lab performance is is one thing, but bringing it into a scaled up production environment and recreating that, um, you don't always get the same results that you originally hoped for. Yeah, and the good it, and news it, is we're rather good at that now, and <laughs> you know, we can we've been going sort of four or five years and gained a lot of experience in in good start points, and we can get technologies turned around reasonably quickly now. And, and of course, it all has to be done as well in a in a what what I would, could only describe as a kind of hyper clean environment. The the the, the level of control of the environment in which um, battery cell manufacturing is done is is quite extreme, isn't it? Well, absolutely, and 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 you're right about um, the controlled element, and it is clean, even though we use some pretty 
um, messy chemicals mm. in that sense. It is a it is a very clean environment. And again, and again, it struck me that when I first got into this industry, knowing that you know, there's a lot of carbon use and this that, and I expected to go into battery manufacturing environments and see, you know, a pretty pretty dirty environment, but but actually not. It's not clean room style. It doesn't need to be mm. quite that level, but there is an awful lot of um, you know control over what's done. Um, and obviously, there are they're all contained processes. Most of them are done in the absence of well, certainly the, the mixing is typically done in the absence of any oxygen. We, we we put pressure on. There's tight control over things that you might you just might not imagine when you're sort of first inventing the the, the chemical steps to to a new recipe. So yeah, yeah it, it's a very controlled environment. Right. Wow. And so 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 just then. If you can tell us um, at at the moment what what are the kind of things that you are working on up in Thurso? What's the what's the plant actually um, producing? What what sort of technologies are you um, yeah. are you working with? So I think I think we we've really got to that phase now where some of the the next generation cells that we were scaling up are becoming available. Um, I'll, I'll touch on two. We have a few more, but we've been working on high power cells. Um, so, that, so obviously, automotive is a big, a big space, and the high power cells we've been looking at have been focused on automotive end users, uh, typically in the niche space, in the niche vehicle space, rather than sort of mass adoption. But, but nonetheless, we're getting quite a lot of interest from larger OEMs. Yeah. Um, so we have a we have a cell that, and, and you'll know the trade already, Ryan. That that yeah, you know, we can get up to 100C performance, mm. um, but we can vary that a little bit in its design to bring a bit more energy back into into play. So it, 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 there's a couple of sort of variants in the family. Um, so 100C is an insane. C rating for a cell, uh, just for, for people who haven't kind of twigged on that because you, you slipped it out there very kind of uh, nonchalantly. So a normal energy cell that you would find in a, in a typical EV might be rated at 3C. That's a pretty good, you know, 3, 4, 5. 5 is really starting to push it for an energy cell. And then power cells that you'd find in a hybrid application, uh, maybe 10 to 15 at the absolute kind of top end so fifteen one five is is a is a typical kind of high power cell. Anything up, I mean, a hundred is 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 absolutely bonkers, insane. I mean, that's like ultra capacitor territory <laughs> for a yeah. battery cell. It's a uh, hundred C is is massive massive power rating for a cell. So yeah, it, it, it is, and I think I think the market space for that is is there. But but probably you're right. More of what we're doing, even though we can go up to that capacity, we are probably on the lower side of, of that, where we get a better balance between the energy and the, and the power yeah. side of it. And it's not only what can it do in instantaneous uh, levels, as you know, it's what it can do on a sustained repeatability, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and repeat, and, and all the things that you have to accommodate. So again, I, I, I when I first entered the world of batteries and cells and everything, I, I used to I used to look at performance specs that were being published and given out. And and it's it's a very I mean even even that is a very complicated space. Um, <laughs> quite often people will publish features that it can do, yeah, but not necessarily all at once. Um, and there's relationships between the different features that <laughs> come play, and it, it, it's it's a minefield of understanding what the actual cell can do. What well, we we are clear, we always we always present what it can do uh, in combination. There's yeah. really we put out. So if I put a hundred C on there, it would obviously have impacts on other parts of the performance but you're right it's it's really fantastic we we typically have worked with other people's inventiveness so we don't do all the ip generation ourselves and in in this case our power cells are linked back to my old employer kinetic in in this case Uh, but they're not the only company we work with And, and just moving on to another technology we've been looking at working with um Sodium ion, and there's a couple of companies we work with on on that technology, and and our view there is that um, depending on which particular 
uh, configuration we're looking at, but, it, but there's some, some great energy potential in that. Certainly within the scope of lithium-ion, perhaps not as good as the best energy cells, but certainly what it, what it also brings is sodium-ion's got some really, really fabulous options to it. You can, you can take it down to zero volts, for instance, uh, and it doesn't damage the cell. What that means is you can transport it as inert chemicals rather than you know, as, a, as a hazardous good. Right. Um, so there's some strong benefits there. Thermally, very stable. Um, but yet still achieving some strong, you know, performance features. Slightly longer time for us to get that to market. We're still, you know, we're still bringing that through its commercialization phase, if you will. But and, and that's not like the kind of like molten salt kind of no crazy batteries of the past. It's this is this is a sort of more much more conventional looking. Uh, battery cell with just with sodium ion chemistry instead of lithium ion. Yes, I mean I, I, there are a lot of those molten salt batteries around there, so I'm not I'm not sure whether they're of the past or whether they're <laughs> resurgence. But yeah. but but you're right. Um, and I, I wouldn't like to draw any comparisons, but but no, no. this is this is lithium ion scale performance, whereas uh, typically other sodium based batteries are looking at you know um, more like I wouldn't like to say lead acid, but some somewhere. Um, below what lithium ion performance has, has been, yeah. so yeah, it, look, it's 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 a fantastic technology, and I think you know we've we've started to steal a bit of a march and lead, you know, worldwide on that. Really, um, being able to make those cells already, although we've got to still go through some of the certification on on them, yeah. and uh, and the, the UK in general has got some strong, um, you know capability in in sodium ion so that that's 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 a good starting point and where, where we might see that going is initially perhaps we're not really looking to replace lithium ion in automotive it, it doesn't have that sort of performance at this point but certainly in more stationary applications where you know you want to trade off safety and and, and theoretically of course it's a, in a volume of volume basis sodium is cheaper than lithium yeah, very so it, it does yeah. offer some some cost advantages. So uh, a fabulous technology. So those are the sorts of things we're working on. In the background, of course, we can provide um, most blends of of sort of off the shelf, as we call them, lithium ion. But uh, obviously, at the volumes we work at, that's that's not a sustainable market position for us. So we're we're looking at bringing something new to the market. Right. On on, on the just to circle back a little bit um, on the on the on the high power cell, the technology involved there. What what is what's um, probably can't tell me the full secret source, but what what you know how you get how on earth are you getting kind of fifty C performance out of a lithium cell? What yeah. is it that you've done there? Yeah, well, I mean you'll you'll I mean any manufacturer will know that that there's some manufacturing techniques that come into it. And then of course there's some IP that comes into it in, in the way the recipe is created in the first place. Mm. Um, and we use a blend of those. So there's some, there's some strong IP positioning that, that gives us that sort of um, recipe that is set up for high power uh, in, in the way you go about that. Yeah. And then of course the manufacturing processes rely on, on thin coatings rather than uh, thick coatings. Mm. Um, and and the, the performances we're getting out of that are, are tremendous. And I think what's good about it as well is we're using a a facility that was originally designed for energy cells, but but it just it just shows you how um, precision you can get off of even standard uh, lithium ion equipment if used and set up in the right way. Ah, like. there's some there's some fantastic evolutions that we've you know we've looked at and how you use that equipment and, and what you do and and how you modify processes and everything else to actually get that sort of high performance out of it so yeah and that that's true of all what we do really Brian. it's it's a combination of that first ip coupled with um extensive you know ip around how you make a cell repeatably perform in, in you know in that way yeah yeah and on the um so the i mean that it's going to be a huge topic on the lithium cells the the, the 
C ratings, people might be thinking, what on earth are they talking about? Why does it matter, the C rating? But it's it's actually becoming more and more important, um, not so much for driving the vehicles, although, although, you know, in hybrid applications, you do need a higher power cell. You can end up oversizing a battery pack just to accommodate the power requirements of the application. Um, but where you're really starting to hit obstacles um, is on charge speeds. So the limiting factor... Uh, for charge speed now, you know, often the C rating of the pack um, rather than, you know, the infrastructure or the, you know, any of the other bits and pieces. So being able to push more power in and out of a cell is is really important in terms of the utility and, and functionality of that cell and and how they're being used in, in automotive as we go for, you know, these. It's, it's not necessarily all about hypercars. It could just be about the ability to fast charge a quite actually quite an ordinary car. Very quickly, yeah. No, you, you, you're absolutely right, Ryan. And, and, and I think there's also a note there that um, not everything that discharges charges quick, not everything that charges quick discharges quick. So yes. you, know, you bring, again, it's, it's interesting when you look at performance specs, you, you have, to have, have to be a bit of a, uh, an expert really just to understand what, you know, what that spec is actually telling you. And I, I think it's quite a complicated space when you get into that. But you're absolutely right. We... I think I think the reason why we tend towards um, niche than mainstream is because it, it sort of circles back to part of our conversation earlier. Um, it's it's all about early adoption, rather than you know I need mass adoption as something that is available in the very near future, and of course has been made for many years using the same process and i can guarantee i'm going to get that yeah so so in the main that that type of cell is what the larger you know, vehicle manufacturers need to need to secure mm. um but there are spaces where people are starting to now look at well i need to differentiate my product from what everyone is buying yeah. and that's the space we occupy so we knew this would be um you know a venture that would take a good few years to move from uh, start to to the end, and we're well on our journey. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, in some cases, I remember five or six years ago, you could get pretty much any cell from any manufacturer, and and in, often they were kind of incentivizing you to try and design their cells into particular applications. But as the kind of that mainstream has has taken off, um, it's actually it sort of self serving in that it's really hard to get mainstream cells for niche applications. So even if they were the most suited cell, which they often aren't, um, you know, you think, oh, well, I'll, I'll tap into that kind of high volume cell that's being used in, in over there, but you can't get them. There's no, the, the, the cell manufacturer won't actually even support the niche application, let alone, uh, you know, be able to access the, the, the sort of the cost, the, that volume leverage costing that uh, that you think you might be able to get access to so, so it is a it's kind of complex market dynamics at the moment on the on the battery side uh, and it's great to see you guys coming through with with some really different things uh, so on the I, I look back to the high power lithium for for sodium for the sodium cells how far away do you think they are in terms of being ready for commercial and maybe in diff, in different applications, but what what's what? You... Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we we can. So we enter another world of um, you know different processes when when we can make the cell, uh, and that's fine. But obviously, for it to be in in general use, there's a there's a number of things we have to do to certify it, and and to some extent, the end use is part of that certification process. It's mm. it's not as straightforward as just saying well. Here's a fully certified cell that you can use. That if it's then integrated into a pack, that has to have some degree of certification. If it's then integrated into an end application, whatever that might be, yeah. a standalone storage solution, or a car, or or a laptop, whatever, that, those go through a certain degree of certification. So it's 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 quite an interesting space there as well to to work in when you're bringing those sort of new products to market. Yeah. Um, and and in some cases, you also but the other thing you have to do and and very often gets forgotten is we can plow ahead with you know being able to make cells um but we need a supply chain that comes you know along at the same pace yeah uh, and again if you're changing some of the chemistries uh then that supply chain is typically new 
Right. So th- those are the things that, that that take the time in the main. Uh, our, look, we can make those sales now, but our view is certifying and, and scaling up supply is is probably putting us somewhere up to the next two years. And I think I think it could go very fast as as demand you know comes up. Yeah. And and obviously that you know that that means everyone looks to go faster. So you're sort of a demand led phase now um but we could i think we could be in quite reasonable production within two years um and certainly we can supply those types of cells a sort of pre-certified position now and and where what market is really pulling the demand for those is it is it automotive or aerospace or something so there's a lot of interest in aerospace but that's typically uh, you know, a further a, a field adopter, if you will. Right. Um, it's more energy storage that we've been looking at. The, right. That sort of demand side comes from. Uh, it's it's particularly its ability to be very stable in high temperatures. You know, lends itself to sitting alongside things like solar plants. Um, and yes, of course, lithium mine can be, you know, temperature controlled and engineered to be very robust and safe and we never really come in with a view that the the sodium ion is safe and lithium isn't. Of course, lithium is safe. It's used globally in all sorts of environments. But there are there are situations where different chemistries, different products are best suited, yeah. uh, more optimally suited. And I, th- I think that's where we see sodium ion. But but we we're not ruling out transport. We can yeah you know, we certainly believe we can get up from the levels of energy we're at now to you know be very competitive with. You know, energy cells in lithium ion, and therefore automotive is is still a market that we could grow into. Okay, interesting. Interesting. I, I suppose the other good news about it is again because we're using a, a standard lithium ion plant to make uh, the cell, uh, it's ultimately transferable. And that's, I mean, that's quite different from the, the, in the in the past. I think uh, you know the tech technologies were radically different in terms of the manufacturing process and. The, the amount of capital investment that's gone into lithium um, production, sort of reel-to-reel type production processes is is vast. So people aren't going to want to write that off and, and being able to to improve on and, and push new technologies into those huge processes is, you know, it's really exciting in terms of what that might bring in the future because it the, the, that lead time to, to bring new things on should, in theory, get shorter as a result. Yeah. And you're right. There's there's a lot of different non sort of lithium ion derivatives out there, and you mentioned some earlier. Some of the sort of salt batteries that that are you know, being pushed, uh, and they have all sorts of different advantages. But but I think one of the things that is that is easy to overlook is is that that magnitude of capital investment required to get manufacturing up and running, to get the right volumes, to get the right price, to get the right quality. It's it's not a straightforward part of the journey. I think what we do in in our business is yeah you know, we for for lithium ion and derivatives we yeah you know, we we bridge that challenge. Yeah. We already have the plant. We can already get those products up and running. And, yeah. and you're right, in a unique space. You said that earlier. There are, there aren't really people in the space we're in. We and that that's that's held out by our client base that we that we now have some global brands from from overseas that. Um, have been telling us that that you know we're we're one of the few players in the space if you're looking for something that's not what you can get right now and and that that's a kind of neat little segue into um you the other things you guys are working on at the moment so i know um it, there's been a lot of press around this the last few weeks um and i also know that there's a bit more to the story than um, than than what has been reported, um, but you you you've got some pretty ambitious plans as a business in terms of scaling up and and growing the company uh, beyond what it what it currently is. So uh, could you could you tell us a bit more about that, please? Absolutely. So yeah, the reality is we we need to grow both because the demand that we're now seeing. Um, and we also know that we need to get the volumes up to get the pricing points right. We, we are seeing that demand growing beyond where our plant is going to be able to 
keep pace. And there are some upgrades we can do to the plant to increase capacity, but in reality, we're looking to build, um, uh, you know, using the Tesla term, gigafactory, that is pretty commonplace now. Um, but but gigaplant is another another phrase that, that we've been using just to just to try and put a differentiator there. <laughs> yeah. We um, we're looking at our own, you know, and have our own plans, and we actually have our own design of a factory that will go up to sort of three gigawatt hours. Uh, we've done quite a lot of work on on you know the product lines that we think will be at that scale. We've made sure that the equipment is designed to to allow that. We've identified a couple of locations. One is sort of Teesside, one is in Dundee. I think we've we've been public about those. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we we it's it's you know, we're ready to to push forward with that supply base as that demand you know comes to the company. Right. Um, and, and and of course it is one of those challenges that, that that people look at new technologies but want to be very confident that they're gonna be able to get enough to the right quality for you know, for a, for a duration, particularly in automotive, it's a sort of five year play to get a vehicle up, and then it's a five year play to, yeah. you know, have a have a supply uh, in place. Um, we've done. That's a big factory. I mean, three gigawatt hours. That's bigger than the the old Nissan plant, the AEC Envision site. Uh, and you would be presumably that would be the same model. You'd be a kind of powder to power type plant as well, full process. Yeah. That, that's that's right. So and, and you're right. It's a bit. It's a big plant. I think it's thirty-seven thousand square meters or something. It's a, it's a building that's going to be sort of fifteen meters high. It will it will be a very big building wow. and a very big space. And um, you know that we look at different options from new build to existing um, space that can be converted. And uh, it, it, with that last option, Dundee has a, a site that uh, is becoming available that has the sort of capacity and space so those buildings are are there yeah um, they're not they're not easy to find like, but but the reality is it's it's other other features like power energy yeah. that are core this is this is a process that you know, demands a lot of power and ensuring that that power is renewable is green is or is least least carbon as is possible is is quite key there's a there's a obviously you can put factories up anywhere but but if you're using i'm not saying anyone is doing this but obviously just for illustration if you're using coal-fired uh, power to generate those batteries the 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 entire footprint of co2 is is worse than if you were using a renewable yeah. energy source to you know to, to power the factory so those those are big considerations so the reason we we looked at the sites we're looking at um Power was one of those most you know, fundamental issues and making sure that we were green. And of course, Scotland and, and other areas such as Teesside, they have wind energy, they have solar, they have a lot of renewable available. Um, so you know, those, those have been sort of part of our, cho- our choice and selection criteria. Wow. And, 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 and this is still aimed at the, those sort of niche specialist applications, right? This, this is, is not you kind of trying to make a... A plant no. to make one, you know, one many of one chemistry. This is still yeah. you, your original business model. Lots of variability, lots of complexity, bringing the really exciting new stuff into the marketplace. Uh, I mean, to a degree, obviously, as you get larger, you do you do build out some of that flexibility. You have to, but but nonetheless, keeping flexibility is key for us. Mm. Um, and you're and you're right. And just to give some perspective, I mean. If, if every vehicle in the UK, those one and a half million vehicles or, or between one and a half and two, depending on which year you look at, um, were all electrified, you know, that's 60 to 100 gigawatt hours of, of, of sales required. Yeah. Uh, and we're talking about two or three. So in, in the scale of the market, we are still looking at a more specialized factory. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's going to be with those products that you you can't typically buy off the shelf at the moment, and and there's a huge market space for that. Yeah, wow. And then, of course, as if one gigafactory wasn't enough, there's the other gigafactory. So we've 
had our plans to build our factory for some time, and uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't think it's a secret that the there's been mention of of a need for a for a large scale Tesla type size sort of thirty plus gigawatt hour facility in the UK to to help automotive, but also let's not forget there are some other markets that 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 buy into sales and energy storage is emerging as a, a you know as a as a big market space as well. Um, we were looking at designing our plant and we were introduced to a company called British Vault who were looking at bringing to the UK shores a large, um, I, I would say more traditional, more mainstream manufacturing facility up in, you know, up to 30 gigawatt hours. Mm. Um, although, you know, who knows where that really would stop once that was uh, in supply. Uh, probably looking at a more mainstream chemistry that the UK you know, really does does need that capability, and the UK government has been um, putting a lot of effort into looking at securing that. Yeah. So those those discussions have have been ongoing for sort of four or five weeks, and and you know we're we're looking at what of the different models makes sense uh, to be common, and and what makes sense to keep apart. Obviously, there are differences. We're looking at different supply chains in some instances. We're looking at you know, different equipment specs. Um, but there are common things that, that you look at, skill base being one of them. Um, and obviously, power requirements is, is another. So there's, there's quite a lot of overlap, but, but yet there's, there's differences. And they're, and they're complementary in that respect. They, they occupy different you know, ambitions in, in client base. Although some of the clients may be the same, the, the offerings are very different. So it, it's a it's a great uh, link, and wherever we get to with that, I think will be um, beneficial both for both companies, but but also for the UK. You know th- th- that would if we if we get that activity underway and, and both companies are successful, the UK would have a really unique position in that it, it would have that ability to bring new product lines to market and the the, the depth and, and volume of supply base to then take that on a truly global scale. So, you know, we could, we could potentially march forward a, a few steps. I mean, we've been leaders in Europe because the, the factory in Teesside has been the biggest factory of sales for some time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we may be being overtaken a little bit, but but certainly the, Ooh, the oh hang on, it's like Sunderland, <laughs> not Teesside. <laughs> Sorry, yes, you're right. Yeah, you cause a right. riot in the northeast. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might have to edit that bit out. Um, <laughs> Teesside is our business, but you're right. The the, the Sunderland business. Um, uh, I was referring to the two gigawatt hour factory. Yeah, um, yeah. That, People forget that. I, I well, or, or even don't know it in the first place that that. Well, there's a few things, isn't there? With a, with a, I was just going to say to to get the UK into a, a better position because actually, when you look at lithium uh, and the history of the lithium battery, you know the story is a classic kind of UK, great at innovating, actually not so good at scaling up, and and uh, you know the, the 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 it's such a an important technology that was developed in the UK, you know, came out of uh, UK academic research. I mean, even through the work with the AEA and, and AGM at the time, as it was that, that you know, all, establishing all that initial uh, business, but then, you know, woof, when they really took off for lithium, the, the sort of um, the, the, the power houses of lithium battery uh, manufacturing now are, are the, the Koreans and the Chinese, and Japanese to a certain extent, really, you know, Asian kind of dominance in that uh, in that space, and it and it would be absolutely fantastic to see the 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 story kind of turn around a bit in terms of being able to to grow um, that UK supply chain, that UK kind of industry around what what was a a, a UK innovation. You're absolutely right, and and um, again, I I think. Depends on when you look at history about the UK being good at industrialization. Obviously, at one point we were very good at it, but um, <laughs> in, in more recent times, you're absolutely right. It has been a bit of a story that, that we are fabulous at the innovation side. We are brilliant at high value manufacturing. And there are still some very strong industries in the UK that that sit in those spaces. But when it comes to 
um, you know, very large volume production that has typically found a home elsewhere. Yeah. Um, look, and, and you know, it, it's 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 some people concerned about Brexit. Some people have, have had views since the the pandemic that the, the supply chain being offshore is is a challenge. Yeah. Um, and you know, putting an onshore supply chain in place is something that that should happen in, in many different industries. So it's it's getting a renewed focus, um, and you know, energy has has been a or power has been one of those spaces that we have been rather good at over time, and and bringing the batteries as a sort of volume manufacturing back into the UK would would be fantastic, and that's part of our aim. And so it always. I mean, I, I know it is a complex field, but from my perspective, certainly my experience, a lot of the challenge in the UK with these things has been essentially a lack of, uh, I don't know what you might call strategic investment, or, you know, despite the fact we've got these sort of two ends of the spectrum. So in the UK, we're very good at uh, innovation and, and uh, sort of that that side of things. And we've also got like a global powerhouse of a financial industry, but we've been very bad at making the two play nicely together. Um, you know, sort of that kind of long-term in uh, strategic investment that's been needed uh, in in strategic manufacturing capacity f- uh, for all sorts of different things, but in- including um, battery cells, has been really, really hard to come by in in the UK. With um, actually, often you know, UK investors preferring to back. Um, overseas uh, companies rather than doing it in in the UK. So how you know now now you guys are, are involved in these two massive programs where you know there's there's a lot of investment going to be required. How are you finding that side of things um, in terms of getting getting the support to do this sort of stuff in the UK from the from the private investment community? I mean, look, you, you, you've summarised it really rather well, I and mean, we we've both sat in different environments. I remember one particular session where we were both on a different panel and, and talking about investment and, and how difficult and challenging it is, and, and it is um, difficult. Uh, you're right. Investment does tend to go overseas, and, and strangely, we tend to attract overseas investment against big projects like that uh, in the same way. So, look, we, we've got a fabulous uh, community that are backing us right now. And are taking us through those first phases, and, and we'll you know we'll need to get the funding behind larger factories. We've had a number of discussions with UK and overseas entities about how we might do that, and I think there's there's a good degree of appetite for for a strong business case. But it isn't easy. You you do have to find uh, investors that understand uh, you know the space they're investing in. Yeah. Uh, and and a lot of investment talk about being experienced in technology, but but there are two sides to technology. There are you know soft soft tech and, and hard tech really. Yeah. And and it's the hard the hard technology on the hardware side where I think we you know there's been less experience of that investment. Yeah. But but then all of a sudden infrastructure projects is something that we are good at investing behind. So we you know, you start to move from technology investment into infrastructure investment and you you know you end up in front of different you know different entities so we've had some very strong conversations uh, as we've moved this forward and i think you know we're you know we're aware that there's a need for us to get demand proven and the uk has put the uk back into uh into being or well, not quite into being yet but very soon to be into being yeah. which will give us the ability to use a a sort of large-scale factory and, and and get that demand up and running and proven um and then I think you're you're more in the space of infrastructure than you are in a sort of large scale um, technology investment. So you're in a slightly different space then. Yeah. So yeah, that's the way we look at it, and we're you know confident we'll be able to get this done. Brilliant. And 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 what sort of timescales do you think you're looking at for your? Um... I guess the, the most advanced is that your your first gigafactory, the, the smaller of the two. What kind of timescales do you think you're looking yeah. at? Yeah, uh, the reality is both both ourselves and British Fault are looking at a sort of 2023 timescale to get something in place. We've already done the design work behind that. We've already got a lot of the uh, fundamental aspects complete. 
So we're we're ready to go um, now. Uh, you know, our view is that the 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 financial environment that we're in has has obviously changed, um, and we may not have seen the full exposure of that just yet. But we weren't focused on the next twelve months or even the twenty four, but more thirty six. So our view is that you know we could be part of that economic recovery. Um, certainly in the past. Programs of this nature have, have played an important part. Renewable energy came online, for instance, in a big way to you know, to take up demand as it as it came out of previous um, previous recessions, previous downturns. Um, we see ourselves as being in a very similar place, and I think there's there's generally been fantastic government support. That's also going to be a key part of this. So, uh, you know, government looking at um, helping to to, to stimulate. Uh, ambitions such as ours, we've had some fantastic you know, support up to date. There's been some other things going on in the world that has taken that, you know, that focus. But I, I hope we'll be seeing that come right back um, into the markets in the near future. As, as, as you know, I've been involved, and no doubt you have as well, in lots of economic recovery discussions, um, both in Scotland and the UK, and. Uh, yeah, making a sustainable future is is where I see uh, a key need, and I think you know, we're looking for the government to to maintain the track that they took before the pandemic. Yeah, and yeah, it does I mean it feels like the right time? The pe- people seem to be you know talking a lot about a, a kind of green recovery, clean recovery, um, new green deal, uh, I don't know, what, whatever your kind of terminology is, but it seems to be the same kind of intent uh and and obviously the pandemic you know lots of been a a bit of a wake-up call i think for people in terms of making more sustainable business um the importance of public health you know some massive uh strategic manufacturing as well that's uh all of a sudden is what we don't have a manufacturing of of component x it's all out of um you know asia and, and i think that's sort of lots of moving parts obviously but it does feel like there's a the general direction is behind um, where you're trying to go, certainly. So, best of luck to you there. I think it's uh, it's I think it's absolutely fantastic what you're doing. Um, I really do. It's uh, it's going to be an, an awesome legacy uh, when you when you manage to um, to to get there. So just to, to wrap up now, because I'm looking at the time uh, we've uh, we've gone over um, as it's become customary for my uh, for my interview podcasts. <laughs> these days but it's just been so interesting uh hearing all about what you've been doing yeah yeah it's a lot to say and it's an exciting space so it's uh, i'm not surprised yeah uh the what what do you think uh you know in terms of the wider market uh what are you what are you most excited about that's coming uh for the future what's got you really looking forward to the next 12 24 36 months i mean look I've talked a little bit about the power side of our business, the high power side of our business, the cells that we're developing and, and looking to bring to market there. I think we see you know, we see some very exciting opportunities sat uh, in our pipeline right now, and we hope to convert some of those you know, in the next six uh, or so months. So that, those are the sort of exciting developments we're seeing in the short term. And, and that will then lead to a scaling up behind those, uh, you know, those, those opportunities and demand. Um, but yeah, you know, but I really think in some of the cases we have other other technologies that could scale on a global level. So things like the sodium mine that that we're incredibly excited about, um, albeit that it's uh, you know perhaps not on the same timeline as as the as the high power work we're doing, but its potential is just huge. And and as I said earlier, the UK has built up. You know, a reasonable degree of expertise that, that goes behind um, everything we do, and obviously there are other people in in the space, and we're getting a bit of a you know a good reputation there. So I think there's some very exciting opportunities to to move forward. And lastly, the combination of a British Vault style um, you know manufacturing base with our own, just that combination, um, the ability to take all the innovation that the UK has always been very, very strong at and turn that into um, you know, a, a manufacturing base, a, a, a supply base. 
that is just incredible and, and could be a huge market with huge job creation around that um and I, I think that's what excites me the most actually uh, that that those sort of combinations where we work with people like british vault um or you know even if even if we just work independently in the same space that's that's the combination of what's happening here is very exciting Ah, brilliant. That's um, absolutely fantastic, Kevin. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to, to join me today. It's been, uh, it's just so fascinating to, to hear about you. I think it's a, it's a, Ampty is a real, almost like a hidden gem, I would say. Um, not least the, the location up in Thurso. But, uh, <laughs> An emerging gem. Sorry. Emerging gem, yeah. That's how no, we like to look at ourselves. But, but you're right, we, yeah, we, we've kept patient because making lots of noise at the wrong time is as damaging as, mm. as you know, when you're ready, it's much better. So we, we feel we're ready now and that's, you know, hopefully we, you know, we will come out as being a hidden gem and um, hopefully you'll hear and see more of us as, as time goes on. Yeah. And, and hopefully any, well, anyone who listens to this, not even hopefully you can tell, I mean, the, the depth of experience of, of Ampty and your team, I mean, it's, it's vast, it goes back to the origins of lithium cells themselves. So, I did make me laugh a little bit. Some of the press coverage recently talking about you being a startup. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I was thought I, I was actually the first time I read that I thought, is there a different empty power? <laughs> they pick the same name. I can't be the same company because they're not a startup. But uh, yeah, but lazy journalism. So yeah, yeah. Well, we we I mean yeah yeah it's one of those balances. We obviously started empty in 2013, but bought into an existing you know base of for production and um yeah and I, I think you also made a great comment about the first gigafactory in the uk which of course um has been the first gigafactory in europe already here up in sunderland and has been here for a long time um we play a lot a little differently in that we're looking at that full cycle but again I, I, it's one of those situations where we we must remember we have got a fantastic position and history mm. here and and it's all to be built on fantastic thank you thank you so much kevin Thank you very much, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time out to listen to the Avid Technology Podcast today. I hope you've enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, Kevin, wow. I mean, what a fantastic story around AGM and anti-power. Uh, brilliant of Kevin to give his time up today when he's obviously so busy trying to sort all this stuff out to uh, come and talk to us. Uh, I really, I hope you got something from that and and, um, and learned a little bit about something that's going on in the, in the battery industry. Uh, if you've enjoyed today, Please don't forget, hit like, uh, leave us a rating or and a comment, depending on which platform you're listening to us on. It's uh, it's mind-blowing, the number of people now that are listening to the show um, across a, what is a huge range of platforms. So, um, yeah, we do really appreciate all the engagement and the questions and things that come in. So keep those coming. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so you get the next episode as and when it happens. Um, so that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much again. And I really look forward to speaking to you again soon.